This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today I have a super special treat for y'all. For those of you who have been listening to the show since its very beginning, um, thank you, besties. I love you. But you'll also know that in our now two year long history, we've only actually done one live show. And it was at 2022 South by Southwest. There were some things happening that prevented live shows that you might remember. We don't have to discuss them. But South by Southwest was a great experience. And we've been wanting to repeat it ever since. And recently, we were given the chance. Last week, I flew all the way to Denmark for the first time in my life for CPH Docs, or the Copenhagen International Film Festival. I was there to eat food, see some beautiful canals, and take the stage for a conversation with Lucia Odom, the host of Pop Telego, a Danish podcast about pop culture. As soon as I met Lucia I felt like I'd met a soul sister. It's the feeling I feel like a lot of y'all have when you meet your internet friends in real life. We had such similar experiences growing up on the internet as Black women in predominantly white environments, using these digital spaces as places to experiment and carve out identities for ourselves. And now, as adults, we get to spend all of our time thinking about how those experiences shaped us and how we think about pop and internet culture. And now, y'all little lucky people get to hear a snippet of that. Theoretically, the point of me being there was to answer the question of if you can really, truly participate in internet culture without being on TikTok. And the conversation we ended up having addressed that question, but it also ended up being as wide-ranging as our respective interests. We covered everything from our rival punk emo allegiances, how much we miss MySpace, the kind of Reagan-era Puritan bent that seemingly crept into a lot of Gen Z politics, and so much more. I hope y'all enjoy this as much as I did. Just a heads up, there is some little clicking at the beginning that is um, my very large hoop earring bumping into the microphone. That sound goes away by the middle of the chat. But let's get into this. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Because in case you missed it, I see why am I. I didn't understand the title for the longest. (laughs) And I was too embarrassed by that to Google it. I felt like if I don't know this, I just don't know. (laughs) So I was just... 
living in the blind, just listening to your mm -hmm. podcast about what's going on in the zeitgeist. So when you do this program, how do you find the topics for it? How do you deal with like the enormity of what's going on in the world and pick something to then tell people about to keep them yeah. up to speed? Well, it's very easy. There's definitely no issues. We never wonder what we're covering. Um, that's a lie, I'm lying right now. <laughs> um, so some of it comes to us. There are some things that are just so inescapable on the internet that we have no choice but to cover them. Um, some of those things include things like West Elm Caleb, which I don't know if that came over to to Denmark, but it was this case of this guy in New York who was a very bad dater, and everyone... Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. guy. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. on TikTok. People were hunting him down, basically, uh, which is wasn't great, and that was what we were talking about on the show. Some of it is nostalgia-based. Some of it is things that I've been thinking about for my entire life. Um, we did an episode on Tumblr and how it changed the way we watch movies, because... I don't know if you feel this way, but there are so many movies that I haven't seen where I yes. could recall scenes by yes. memory from how often I've seen them on Tumblr. Yes. And recently I watched Paris Blues um, for the first time, which is this 1961 movie starring Sidney Poitier, um, Paul Newman, and Diane Carroll. And I had seen this one scene so many times that when I finally saw it, I was just like, wow, I should have watched this movie maybe 10 years ago. Like, I, I should have already seen this. Um, so we did an episode on that. So it kind of just depends on the week, uh, what's going on, what I'm thinking about, what my producers are thinking about, what feels inescapable, what feels like people aren't noticing enough, um, and kind of trying to tie it all back to the larger context. I think a lot of people think things on the internet are new, and more often than not, they're tied back to something that we've already seen before. Okay. So you say a lot of things on the internet is not new, mm. which also indicates that we've all been online for some time now. Yeah. And some of us have like been adolescent, like we've been young online, we've been like trying to find ourselves identity-wise online. Mm -hmm. So how did you like grow up online? How old were you when you entered into the online sphere? I was pretty young. I would say, i can't really remember a time I wasn't on the internet. Um, my mom was doing a PhD program when I was growing up, and so I would help her grade papers sometimes, or I would help her uh, do data entries, so I was often using like Microsoft Excel, and that would mean that I would get online and do like fuck around instead of helping her. <laughs> Me and my older brother would sit and go to a website that was literally just called stupid.com because that's what you do when you're eight and you have access to a computer. Um, so my entire life feels shaped by the internet, but I would say my first real memories of internet culture began when I was on MySpace and Tumblr, and that was around, I would say, 13 to 15, so about 2007, 2010-ish era. Yeah, and what kind of interaction with social media did you have at that time? What kind of landscape do you think you were like a part of at that time? So primarily fandom is the way that I interacted with the internet. Um, I think I am a person who just interacts with things through like kind of incoherent love. I 
just when I love something, I want to know everything about it. I want to look at the gift sets and see these like minute interactions. I want to know what the actor was thinking when he was filming that scene. I want to see what other people are thinking about this. I just want to, you know, that feeling when you're just in a, you were 13 and you were listening to like Beyonce and just like screaming with your friends. Like I want that feeling, but online. And so that was most of the reason I would go online was to look um, at the things I was interested in the time, which were shows like Supernatural, um, which is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> One Direction, which is also really embarrassing. <laughs> I'm just embarrassing myself right now. Um, but all these things that I loved as an adolescent and just really wanted to know everything I possibly could about them. I feel that like it was way of escaping, mm -hmm. only having to hang out with people from school, mm -hmm. and having all the people from your dream schoolyard yeah. who are interested in the same topics as you are, mm -hmm. and just being able to like speak to them in Italy, speak yes. to them in Mississippi, have like interaction with people who are not at the same place as you, but mentally they are, yeah. and fandom-wise they are. Mm -hmm. So also, I had like a very subcultural teenage era with I was into punk music and alternative rock and just like a movie freak. So also mm -hmm. into like a lot of fandom, also into a lot of like fan fiction and mm -hmm. that stuff like that. So yeah, um, MySpace, but also earlier Scandinavian places like Lunastom, there was like a Swedish social media mm. that spilled into Denmark where you could have a diary people could follow. Oh. So people could like subscribe to your diary. Oh, that which sounds is like incredible a, and also terrifying. Terrifying yeah. idea. <laughs> I'm happy it's not even on anything right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> but it felt important to have like readers. Yeah. Who could like deal with <laughs> all the things you had to say mm -hmm. and were like there for it. Yeah. And I feel like I haven't quite gotten rid of that part of me that wants to write diary online. I mean, we're Look at what we're doing. <laughs> yes. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Yeah. I feel like podcasting is all the internet's fault. Mm, oh, like undoubtedly. The, yeah. Having too much to say. Just and no one in your life actually wanting to hear it. So you say yes. it to a bunch of strangers. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is why it's also weird for us to be here at a stage. Yeah. Looking at people's faces. <laughs> Because, like, the appeal of a podcast is being able to hide, mm -hmm. but still have a lot to say. Exactly, yeah. But being able to hide. It's the freedom of not having to be on television. <laughs> it's the freedom of not being able to be on... Yeah, it's mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. I feel it. And also, I ask you about growing up online, because there's this feeling right now of me growing old online. Mm -hmm. I have this feeling that I have been young online, I have been middle-aged online, and now I feel like I'm growing old online. <laughs> I'm entering boomer, 
and I'm answering. <laughs> I don't think you're quite there. <laughs> in a way that's like, I don't have a TikTok account. I don't yeah. actually know what's going on on that app besides what people tell me is going on on that app yeah. in your podcast. Yeah, I mean. And I don't know what Twitch is. I don't um. know what anything is. <laughs> I have no idea what anything is anymore. Yeah. I know what Instagram is. <laughs> That's Which important. feels boomer. Yeah. Which feels like the new Facebook I in a way. I think boomer is Facebook. The youth okay. are still on Instagram. You're okay. Okay. You're okay. <laughs> I'm, okay. Yeah, no. You're still, so far, you're still so with it. Yeah. But I, I have like invited people here under pretense of you being able to (laughs) disguise for us what we're missing out on Mm -hmm. if we're growing old online and can't seem to find our way into the TikTok thing. Yeah. So what is the moment of TikTok for you? Right now there's this whole debate in America if it's even going to be in America. anymore, yeah. But what is the importance of of TikTok for you and like people your generation? Yeah, that's a really big question. Um, I will say that I consider myself a millennial Gen Z cusp. I was born the last year that you can technically be a millennial and the first year you can be a Gen Z, like a part of Gen Z. So I think TikTok means a lot more to people about five to seven years younger than me. I got on, I was actually kind of a late adopter of TikTok. TikTok was really big in 2019, 2020, which is when it was actually kind of subcultural, when it was actually fully youth culture. Now, everyone and their mom is on TikTok. Um, there are actually a lot of moms on TikTok. Kim Kardashian is on <laughs> Kim TikTok. Kim Kardashian is on with TikTok. With her kid? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Gordon Ramsay is on TikTok with his wow. kid. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really become, I think, the dominant mode through which people under the age of 26 interact with the internet. And that is a really huge shift in that most other platforms from Facebook to Twitter to even Instagram, which all have image capabilities but not necessarily aren't image dominant, are kind of, they're A, trying to keep up with TikTok. What the way Instagram works now is very algorithmicized, which TikTok perfected. Um, But it means that we are kind of facing head on what people look like in a way that we never have before and how they interact with the world. And it's supposed to be a more authentic mode, but it ends up kind of encouraging a very specific type of behavior. You can almost tell when someone spends a lot of time on TikTok just based on how they talk. There are certain phrases and mannerisms, um, like, I'm trying to think of one right now that isn't completely embarrassing. If you've listened to um, the SZA song with Doja Cat, there's a, there's a sound in the middle of it. And if you're on TikTok, you go like this, which you put your hand out like this at the specific oh. moment. And if you see someone do that during that SZA song, you know that they spend a lot of time on TikTok. Okay. <laughs> so it's one of those things where when you're in the know, you're in the know. Um, I I can't say that you don't need to be on TikTok, but I understand why people aren't on TikTok. It's very overwhelming. It takes a while for the algorithm to really figure out who you are. So the first, I would say, month is kind of like if you've never had chocolate cake before and suddenly you're allowed to have chocolate cake every single day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the overwhelming thing is for me the reason why I'm not, like the feeling of total digital overwhelming, like Mm -hmm. being overwhelmed digitally, Mm -hmm. is why I can't go in there and become like sunken into the place. (laughs) Um, I have like some hope 
that TikTok in a way is what early internet culture was because mm-hmm. you have like board culture. Mm-hmm. As I, when I talk with my husband's little brother, um, he's like into a lot of nerdy stuff on TikTok mm-hmm. the way I was into nerdy boards mm-hmm. on early Reddit sort of kind of board internet sites yeah. in like 2004 to one. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's also like a throwback element of all the things that all of us who are like a little too old for TikTok mm-hmm. can maybe find some similarities in in like oh, the rabbit hole mm-hmm. appeal. Like if you're really into FX Twin, mm-hmm. there's I've heard a big fandom about him and mm-hmm. a nerd culture about him and his music. Yeah. So that's really interesting to hear that yeah. there's like an element of nostalgia there too. Oh, so people are always also looking back there mm-hmm. and not just ahead. Yeah, it do you feels, find that? I definitely do. A lot of time TikTok tends to retread things that if you've been on the internet before, you're like, oh, sweet summer child, you're finally figuring this out. <laughs> um, so there's fan fiction on TikTok. There's a video fan fiction. People edit themselves into the world of Harry Potter or of Twilight or of Shadow and Bone or of Stranger Things. Um, there are a lot of yeah, fandoms on TikTok in a way that feels like Tumblr, but doesn't quite, there's not the same level, I would say, of analysis necessarily, just because you can only say so much, really. I mean, it's our job <laughs> to talk a lot, but I feel like the video format doesn't necessarily lend itself well to actual criticism. Though people are trying, but people get bored. The point of TikTok is to hook you in within the first 30 seconds. Okay. And I feel like we're both podcast hosts in a very specific era of cultural wars and Mm. cultural Mm. divide and people calling things woke all the time (laughs) and a a very overwhelming feeling of people wanting answers for what they can do and not do and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And we talked about that walking in the sun in Copenhagen, (laughs) those brief moments of gorgeous sun. We talked about what that means right now, what kind of like... So I was wondering about TikTok and does that vibe spill into that too? Like the cultural divide oh, right now, mm-hmm. how does that affect the young generation there? How do, how do they respond mm. to this time we're in with like a feeling of arguments yeah. that will never end? Yeah. How is that affecting that social media, do you think? I think it's making people a lot more scared in a way. I don't like to really engage in the concept of the cancel culture, because I think a lot of it is just called consequences for your actions, which a lot of people have never experienced. But there is, I think, a real sense of fear in a lot of really young people that at any given moment, a TikTok you made for your friends that will appear on their feed because they follow you can also end up appearing on the feed of 20 million people worldwide. And I don't know about you, but if my 14-year-old thoughts were being shared with, mil- put, had the potential to be shared with millions of people, I would... <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of these kids are growing up in public in a way that even though we spent time online, we had communities that we chose to be a part of. Mm-hmm. On Tumblr, you chose who you followed. On Facebook, you chose who were your friends. On Instagram, you chose who you followed. TikTok is the first out, like first app 
that is purely algorithm-based, where your experience is not dictated at all by who you follow. It's dictated by all these micro-measures of interest. So even if you hate something, if you watch to the end, you're gonna be shown more of that. So people get stuck in these holes. And what that means is that oftentimes, things that have the most engagement have the most engagement because they're being hated on, which means that you can have a video go viral for all the worst reasons, and I think that really affects how a lot of people grow up and that they're trying to have the safest opinion possible. And that only happens when there's no nuance. The safest opinion possible. <laughs> I find that so interesting because what scares me about doing a podcast in this side, guys, is people asking me, so, so can I listen to Kanye West anymore? <laughs> like in my DM, like, like for coming to me for an answer for what they can do. Yeah. And I talked to, to you about this. I feel like in the 80s, you had the Reagan era. You had the sticker on CDs called Parental Advisory mm -hmm. that said, this is bad music with devil worshiping <laughs> and bad, bad behavior. And I feel like maybe we're like diving into the Reagan mm -hmm. with the, oh, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can't. Nope, I'm not gonna listen to that. I'm not gonna engage with this, and I'm gonna leave the dance floor with this song. Like the whole um, editing, where you can and not, where you can't be and where you can't be, yeah. seems to me a way that erases nuance and doubt and curiosity, which is a part of the appeal of pop culture mm -hmm. and being online and interacting with people in a free and goofy and insecure way. That you yeah. have to be very secure. So I see a lot of like. This is how it works when I look at TikTok videos. Mm -hmm. This is like a tutorial vibe, yeah. which reminds me too much of the parental advisory sticker. Mm -hmm. So what do you, what's your feelings about the whole, maybe we're repeating a part of conservative history yeah. in the free, liberal, alternative, feminist, conscious yeah. realm of podcasting and TikTok and having conversations about culture. Yeah. Because I feel like there's like a big conflict in me with that weird conservative mm -hmm. reenactment of Reagan yeah. and the way people edit themselves and their opinions. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I give credit to Gen Z for, I mean, on paper, they're the most progressive generation that's ever existed in terms of their views on sexuality, in terms of their views on race, in terms of their views on gender. So. In terms of their actual political opinions, they're largely moving to the left in a way that's very encouraging. But I think because of the internet and the ways in which anything you say can be misconstrued or anything you say can be used in service of an argument that you don't agree with unless you front loaded with all of these other things. Like, I don't mean this, I don't mean that. Or like, I like Kanye, but only in this specific context. And it's easier in a lot of ways to just have a very strong, fully black and white opinion rather than engage in what is a lot of gray area. Even mm -hmm. though I would say the best pop culture comes out of that gray yes, area. Yes, gray area. Mm -hmm. That's but, why we're here, I think. Exactly. That's why I'm here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a lot of it also comes down to what I describe as the brandification of everything. There's this the moment we're in kind of demands for everyone to be an influencer. In a way, we're all, I would say, celebrities in waiting in a way that has never existed before. You'll see people go viral, not even for anything they posted online, because someone decided to take a video of them in public and 
make a story about them and it goes viral. You'll see people say, I saw the cutest date and now I need to find them again so oh. that they can have a beautiful relationship that I can watch play out because everything is content. It's oh. not necessarily um, analysis or opinion. It's something to be sold or something against which ads can be, be sold. Exactly. Yeah. It's all data. It's all places where we can put ads. And advertisement only works if things are safe. And so in that way, I think people are really shifting their content in a way that eventually, should they decide to get sponsored, should they get sponsors, there's nothing objectionable. And even when people don't want to be influencers, that is foisted upon them. I know a lot of people who love to post cooking content, and they're just documenting it for themselves on the platform that all their friends use, that everyone is using, but everyone in the comments is like, where's the recipe? Or why didn't you tell me how to make this? Or okay. why did you do it this way? Or why are you doing all of this? And it's like, this person is living their life. They are not like a dictionary from which you can pull all these resources. But there's this expectation that if you post online, you are doing it to be viewed, rather than you're doing it because it's something we all do in the same way that you would write in a diary. Yeah. And I think this matters because we grew up online in a very tender way. Mm -hmm. When I talked to you all day, I kind of knew you because mm -hmm. you were a bored kid in a way I know, mm -hmm. like a way of enjoying things that's like in a tender way where you just let it flow, like the informations and the rabbit hole of it all and like diving into the research and connecting with people on this nerdy detail. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is so important to be able to also have doubt and yeah. not knowing how to socially behave with the thing you're engaging with. Yeah. Also making mistakes, missteps, not knowing the right way to talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. I would hate for my show to be a place where people don't think they can talk about stuff they're not quite sure about yet. Yeah. I feel like trying to figure out what we're talking about is also what the appeal of doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. Not really knowing why we're here mm -hmm. is also the appeal of doing a podcast mm -hmm. and being online. Yeah. For me, those things are intertwined. They like feed into each other like the, I don't quite know. I'm just vibing with the feeling of intriguing mm -hmm. pull and just being obsessed with something that's mirroring a lot of things I haven't quite finished in, in, in myself, like yeah. psychologically, it's therapy in a way mm -hmm. to deal with pop culture in the way we do. Yeah. But it becomes sometimes for other people a manual of what's the thing? Mm -hmm. What's the thing? Mm -hmm. What's the thing that's going on that's right or wrong? Yeah. And I feel like I have to slowly humanize it and actually go counter journalists and not be... And, and really make sure that people understand it's subjectivity that's my angle and not objectivity that's my angle. Yeah. Because in opinion writing and analysis, I find it very important right now to have like the gray areas, mm -hmm. the not knowing why you're here. And that for me is a class with TikTok culture in a way that yeah makes me maybe pull away from that. that. Yeah. So that's why I'm trying to lean in it <laughs> through you through yeah, and your podcast. I mean, I kind of think of it in the same way that a lot of TikTok culture is made by children. And I mean, remember when you were a teenager? You, I, I, was, I definitely had some, <laughs> yeah. some, some hot takes. Yeah. <laughs> some takes that weren't great. 
And I don't think I was great dealing with nuance either. Like I just the stridency of youth is you you think that you know how the world works. And that's really inspiring to see in a lot of ways and that Gen Z is very clear about what is right and what is wrong. And the a lot of the things they think are wrong are in fact wrong, you know, and they're calling it out in a way it never has been before. But we're watching them grow up in public is what's happening. And that's never happened before because usually when teenagers are covered in other generations in like the 80s or even the 50s when the term teenager was created, it was all mediated through an adult. It was mm -hmm. mediated through a journalist. It was them describing what was happening. Mm -hmm. And Rolling Stone magazine. Exactly. Yeah. These journalists who looked at Beatles fans and called mm -hmm. them like screaming masses of stupid children. That would never happen today because those same children can just post about it themselves. But I don't necessarily think that we as adults are met to engage this much with what teenagers are doing. And I don't think Agreed. teenagers are necessarily met to have their thoughts criticized in the way that they are. There are so many times on Twitter where an absolute batshit tweet goes crazy. Like, the, it's a terrible tweet. But you look at the account and it's a 14-year-old. Yes. And there's no, re like, it's so easy not to argue with children online. And yet- Just don't do it. <laughs> don't do don't it. Don't argue with kids. So many people Step do away it. From exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, and it's yeah. because the internet flattens. Yeah. Everyone thinks that you're on the same level, but you're not, and it really, behooves people to step back and think about who you're arguing with and if it's worth it. Interesting. That was good for me to hear. <laughs> you don't have to pay attention to what children are doing online. I actually think that people, we could stand and pay a lot less attention to what children are doing online. And I say that as someone who talks a lot about what kids are doing online. And my show is often... A lot of teachers listen to my show and mm -hmm. parents listen to my show and they use it to keep up with what their kids are doing. But... I don't know. I'm glad my mom didn't pay attention to what I was doing when I was younger. I'm glad my mom didn't know what I was doing on yeah, Tumblr. Me too. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm so glad she didn't know what I was interested in. Not because it was necessarily the worst thing in the world, but because she didn't understand it and she didn't need to. And because TikTok is so accessible to us, because we're all using the same platforms in a way that's never existed before in human history, we feel like we need to analyze what's in front of us when a lot of time you could just chalk it up to youth and ignore it. And by the way, honestly, thank y'all so much for allowing me to not be on television. Uh, however, much like a TV show, we do need to take a short break. We'll be back in just a minute. Hi, y'all. If you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast. You'll be supporting the show. ICYMI would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You'll also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, and Dear Prudence. You will also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. Before y'all go, I want to let you know about a virtual event that I'm participating in. It's called Confronting Digital Blackface, and it is a live YouTube event hosted by the 19th News. It takes place on Thursday, March 30th at 7.30 p.m. If you're listening to this show on Wednesday, March 29th, that's tomorrow. My co-panelist is Tressie McMillan-Cotton. Everyone's 
favorite sociologist and New York Times author. We're going to explain digital blackface and how to know it when you see it, why it's harmful to black women and LGBTQ plus people, and what we can all do to make social media a better place for women of color. You can find details and links at 19thnews.org slash events. I hope to see y'all there. And I'm back with Lucy in Copenhagen. I also kind of promised people here showing up that you would come give us like maybe an example of a nice balance and ways to get the best out of the TikTok app without engaging with children. But like in a way, like get, well, how, how would you go about not being on TikTok but getting the best out of its existence if it's mm. not going to be banned everywhere? Like how do you, how do you what's your be- be- best uh, recommendation for engaging with TikTok without engaging too much with TikTok as like the oldsters online? <laughs> Or maybe just people, young people don't want to deal with it. Yeah, that's, I don't know if it's possible. I'm going to be completely honest. I think... So much of TikTok exists on other platforms. If you're on Twitter or on Instagram, you see a lot of TikToks regardless because Instagram reels are just TikTok and then yes. people post them all over Twitter. They're even on Tumblr at this point. So you you will see TikToks and you'll see the ones that are kind of the most curated version of it. But a lot of TikTok also exists within the platform. The comment section on TikTok is maybe one of the most important things about the app and you don't get that unless you're on the app. I think that if you don't want to be on TikTok, then you just have to commit to not being on TikTok in the same way that I'm like, I don't understand sports and I never will. And I know that I'm missing out on a huge portion of culture because I made that choice. Cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry to disappoint Yeah, I'm so but sorry. I, feel, I actually feel comfortable with this information. I it makes more it, people it frees okay me in a yeah. way that's nice. I think that it I should be to. freeing like, that you don't yeah. have to be on TikTok. I don't wanna. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. That is yeah. so fair. Thank you. I Thank mean, you for setting me free. You're welcome. To be old and <laughs> has been I mean, yeah. I, I think TikTok is having its moment right now. But I think, again, in the same way that Twitter is broken and Facebook is boomer and I, MySpace Who I miss it. I miss my I miss having I miss, top friends. Yes, I miss and putting a song. a song. Yes. Okay, so which song did you have on MySpace? Oh, um, this is going to be embarrassing. Do you know My Chemical Romance? Yes. <laughs> you know Because the song? Because that was my anime yes. culture. <laughs> you know the song, yeah. I'm Not Okay? No. Yeah. I don't well, know the song. Um, just think no. of an angsty teenager putting the song, I'm Not Okay, by My Chemical Romance on their profile, and you will understand the vibe I was giving off. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you and me, we would have a problem back then. I think then. we would have had a beef. Because I was, I was a punk. Oh, I was an I was a poser. I was an you emo. Was a I was a pop and punk everyone lover. everyone thought it was the yes. same. <laughs> It's not the everyone same at all. Everyone was like, oh... You're one of those emo kids. <laughs> no, 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 no. I Look was one of me. the emo kids. I'm not, a, I'm not emo. Yeah. Like, it was a big deal for me. Yeah, that's fair. To try and divide, like, to distance myself mm-hmm. from the, my chemical romance. But I think I would have enjoyed it. I think you I would really enjoy it now. I'm going to be honest. The music it. is pretty good. I still like it. Yeah, Paramore? Phenomenal. I could just not. You maybe But should. But now I can. Now you can. Because now I'm a free person in yes. all of pop culture era. Exactly. We no love the gray is, area. Yes, There's no the wrong area. or wrong, wrong or right. But back then I was like, I was oh. harsh. Oh, I was the same way, except I was just convinced I wasn't a poser. But now I know that I was. Now you know. Now I'm aware. I'm yes, fully aware. You mm-hmm. know. Okay. MySpace. <laughs> yes. It was, I think we need to, I know there are songs now on Instagram, but it makes it stressful mm. to... 
role. Yeah. Because you will have on a podcast like what yeah. I see why am I and having a good time listening to the podcast and then you will stroll mm -hmm. and like Yeah, you're hit in the face with Cafe yeah, by Beyonce. Song will mm -hmm. just like ruin everything yeah. for you. Yeah. In a very different volume mm -hmm. than the podcast. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I feel like no sounds on social media. <laughs> you just want no just sounds on social media. I want just text. I want to choose it. Oh okay. I don't want to be surprised. <laughs> but yeah. I liked being surprised back then, but now it get, it gives me headache. <laughs> That is fair. Yeah, I really don't think you'd like TikTok. No, I'm not going to do it. I feel <laughs> Everything you're saying makes me feel like you're constitutionally averse to TikTok as a concept. <laughs> There's a lot of surprises. There's a lot of loud music. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think I just came here to be relieved. Oh, I love to do that for and people. Not like just not having to engage. You don't have to engage. No yeah. I yeah. mean, also TikTok is so young at this point. I think we're in what year, 2023? Um, it's four years old, really, in terms of its popularity. I, we, I would give it at least another two years before we start actually thinking that it's inescapable. We will be taking another short break. Afterwards, we'll be hearing some audience questions. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. And we're back. Hey, um, I'm a big fan. Um, I was just wondering, um, I'm assuming, you know, you talked about how you have lots of listeners, you're talking a lot to strangers. I'm assuming that that also has led, the podcast has led to you guys having a lot more followers on social media. Has that changed how you guys behave on social media and how you like represent yourselves? Um, and then also link to that, how do you navigate, you know, how much you decide to share about yourselves on the podcast oh and also God. about yourselves <laughs> on social media? We were just talking about um, this. Or is it just, you know, whatever, anything goes? I um, wish I had a classy answer. I, I just wish I was the one, like, I try to keep boundaries, <laughs> but I'm just not keeping boundaries. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing online. I'm doing exactly what I've been doing since I was 13. I have no self-control around oversharing. I, I just want to hang out. And like, you have like this term in Denmark called asked. Like, no one asked you. Like, the internet, no one, you. Like, the whole meme thing where mm. no one asked. And I feel like I'm the no one asked. But let me tell you how I feel <laughs> about motherhood. Despite where I'm lying alone in bed. <laughs> like just, I have no filter around why I'm online. It's just a very intuitive need for getting stuff out of my system. That's why I have a podcast also. I really just, I'm glad people are here for it because it's just what I like. <laughs> like I just like hanging out with people I don't know. It's easier than hanging out with my friends. Like people who don't know me. It's easier to just like, yeah, I think you kind of know. Mm. You know, you kind of get it. But like trying to have close relationships in your 30s and meeting people and having a good time. Like no one can meet that day. But the internet is this place where you also read that novel. Oh my God, let's have it. Let's have this 
discussion all night long. I don't even know you, but you're also breastfeeding a kid at night and you're also online. So let's just have that conversation. I feel like the whole intuitive way of vibing with people is just why I'm there. And that makes it difficult for me to have classy answers to your questions about what many followers mean. I don't even know. I just, I just do what I want and what I like. And that's the internet. <laughs> and that's like just enjoying myself with things that matters to me and matters to a lot of other people. So I'm, I just, I need some kind of <laughs> coach, uh, babysitter, internet, personal assistant thing who's like, maybe try and think if you should post this. <laughs> maybe just sleep on it. But I like not sleeping on it for a while. And let's see where it, where it goes, the whole open World Wide Web. Yeah. I, th I think you said it, we're living in like the first realm. Oh, yeah. This we're is living in the time mm -hmm. where in 30 years we're going to be terrified yes. how we were online. We're going to be like, oh my God. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that mm -hmm. online at that time. And I kind of like being in that realm. You're in the vanguard. I like it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I... Over the past two years since I started hosting the show, I've started to develop what my boundaries are, um, just kind of based on real-life interactions that I didn't entirely love. Um, so I'm single, um, and dating in New York, people will look you up because yeah. of online dating. That can, my, I'm really easy to Google, basically. If you know my first name and you know I work at Slate, you can find a lot of information about me, most of which I've forgotten that I've said. And so knowing that means that I usually try to, I don't talk about my dating life on mic, I don't talk about my family on mic unless it's something that is like really small. Um, I'll talk about my friends, but things that would never come back to them as negative. Um, I don't really talk about anything on the show that I don't feel like I've fully processed myself. Um, I say that you. for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I really, when I started becoming, a, um, when I started writing, I, I came, I started writing at a time in which a lot of people of color in the United States primarily got their start in media through personal essays through kind of excavating their trauma for a primarily oh white God, audience. Yeah. And I saw that happening, and I, A, realized that I'm extremely privileged within the context of, like, most of my peers, just because of the way I grew up. I've obviously had issues and traumas, and being black is its own thing. But I, I didn't want to have to force a kind of traumatic narrative onto my life, and I mm -hmm. also knew as a deeply emotional person that I would probably regret talking about that online because my feelings yeah. would change from one day to another. So starting off my career thinking I'm not doing personal essays, I'm not talking about this, meant that when I started the show, it was a lot easier for me to say, okay, I'm not going to talk about this. Um, but that's the show on social media. I found I actually tweet a lot less now that I'm on the show just because all my thoughts I've already said to people. And so I'm kind of just like, it's nice in that I get feedback from people who usually want to listen to me versus on Twitter, your tweet finds its way to other corners of the internet where people are just like, you're stupid. And I'm like, I am, but some people love that. Yeah, some and people so, love that about me. Some people love that. Some people <laughs> think that's adorable. And that's all I really need. Yeah. And so... I usually say what I need to say on the show or I'll save it for a group chat. Um, on Instagram, I'm a little less um, 
careful, I guess. Like my stories are usually as chaotic as I want them to be. I have like a whole, if you follow me on Instagram, which you can because it's public because I have, again, I'm very easy to find. There's a post where it's just selfies of me crying. It was like my year in 2022 in tears. Like I have no qualms about that. Um, but I don't know, all of it's curated. None of it is really, I don't think any of us put an unfiltered version of ourselves no, online. Just, it doesn't exist, but you yeah. can have like a intuitive way of being or mm-hmm. like a very careful think through everything yeah. they say yeah I've definitely let loose some tweets that I probably shouldn't have and oh that God. I'm not on Twitter I, I just smart. I'm afraid I what, think, what will yeah. happen to no, me if Twitter I go Twitter is so easy I've gotten yeah. in trouble at work because of Twitter yeah um, that's why I'm not there yeah mm-hmm. I will not have a job if I go to Twitter oh I've subtweeted my boss on Twitter oh before and I got pulled into the <laughs> boss's office and I was just like hi <laughs> I'm sorry. It's me. It's me. Hello. You know it's me. <laughs> because you saw my tweet. Uh, so, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. This is also like a good thing for me to hear. I'm not going to TikTok. I'm not going to Twitter. I'm going to stay carefree I, on Instagram. Yes. I think you have the perfect there. websites for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that Twitter so, really... Tumblr. Twitter and TikTok, I think... Um, encourage some of our worst instincts in a way. Uh, so I think that's a good choice to make. You have been my digital therapist for this hour, Rachel. <laughs> I love that. Rachel Hampton, thank you for that. Thank for you, coming Lisa. here to Copenhagen in this very, very non-loyal weather and talking to us about the weather of the internet culture. Oh. The changing... I'm not going to use this analogy anymore now. No, I, I love it. Stop. I'm But a Pisces. I love this. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It was, it's been great. That is the second ICYMI live show in existence. We'll be back in your feed, not live, on Saturday. So definitely subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss an announcement for a future live show. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell all your international friends about us. I didn't realize we had Danish fans. Hello. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, what was your MySpace song? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader, Sierra Spragley-Ricks, and me, Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Rich Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online, or in Copenhagen. <laughs>